Good morning. morning. It's great to see this Christmassy feeling day. Amen. This morning's message is a continuation of uh, last week's message uh, on this topic that sin must become utterly sinful from the book of Romans. If you weren't here last week, what I want to do for a few moments is just kind of catch us up, give us an overview of our series thus far. Sometimes we get in the middle of something and we can't see the forest for the trees. And so what I want to do today is Take a step back with everybody here, and let's look at Romans, and what is Paul trying to do for us here in totality, and kind of do a quick overview for you. And if you haven't been here yet, and this is your first Sunday, this will help you uh, to get on page with what I'm about to share uh, this morning. In Romans chapter 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul is teaching us how to live the sanctified life. Now, by sanctified, I mean a couple of things. First of all, it's coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and giving him your heart and becoming a follower of Jesus. When you do that, at that moment, you are set apart to God, to his glory. It's just as if you've never sinned because you've received Christ. You're acquitted of your, of your sins, and God sees you through the blood of Christ, and he sees you as holy, H-O-L-Y. But at the same moment that that transpires, you begin this process of wholly giving your life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and you're becoming in behavior like Jesus. And that's what Romans 6, 7, and 8 uh, addresses so thoroughly. Uh, And Paul has given us uh, some critical facets of sanctification I want to review with you this morning. The first one is this. You have to know who you are in Jesus. You have to understand you have a new identity in Christ when you give your life to him. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. Secondly, you have to count yourself dead to sin, Paul says. Um, Dead men don't sin. They're, they're, you know, not going to be uh, susceptible to temptation because they're dead. But, uh, and, and also, you're supposed to count yourself alive uh, to God in Christ Jesus. By alive, we mean this. You'll understand that you're a new person in Christ with a new perspective, and you have a new purpose. And you no longer see things from a worldly viewpoint. Now you're looking at them through the lens of, a, of being a Christ follower, and you see everything entirely different because you're a new person with a new perspective and a new purpose. And, and thirdly, you have to abide in Jesus with a slave viewpoint. A slave makes it his goal, her goal, to know their master's business, to know their master and understand their master and also to serve the master. So if Jesus is our master and we're his slave, then we're going to make it our life mission to know who he is, to understand his uh, person and understand his desires for us, and then we're going to serve him. Amen? Because that's what a slave does. And lastly, understand that you as a follower of Jesus, follow him in the new way of the Spirit. We are now people who are filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, and he does in us what we cannot do in ourselves. So Paul gives us this wonderful kind of progression of what it means to be a sanctified follower of Jesus. And then he gets into this real self-revelation moment in Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He begins to admit that I have a sin struggle, he says, going on in my life. And this is what we begin to look at last week and are going to continue to look at this morning. And Paul, in a very transparent way, reveals this battle that's going on within himself between the sin nature and the new nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think he does that so that we become aware of what is going on And we're equipped and we're, you know, intelligent followers of Jesus knowing what then we must do, what we must battle to really enter into the sanctified life that Christ has for us. 
The wrong way to look at what I'm about to read to you this morning once again is to think, well, Paul, the super apostle, if he struggled with sin like this, then I'm going to struggle with sin too. Thank you, Paul, for revealing this to me. Now I don't feel so bad about myself. That is totally the wrong way to look at it. Because why would Paul list what it means to be a sanctified follower of Jesus Christ and then undo it all by saying, well, you're going to sin anyway, go at it. That's not what at all he intends for us to take away. Rather, he intends for us to take away this idea that there's a battle going on within us and there is a way for you and I to be more than conquerors in that battle, which we'll get to later on this morning. So let's do a review of what I covered last week because it feeds into what we're going to actually look at this morning. The law of God is not the problem. We, we learned that last week. Like an x-ray, the law reveals that your problem is your sin nature. So it reveals... Uh, reveals in you some deep things that you otherwise wouldn't know. That's part of the purpose of the law. It's like a great medical tool. It looks deep inside your soul and makes known to you the battle within. This last week, I had the wonderful opportunity to do some follow-up work with my heart and my neck, some of those surgeries I've had. I have to say it was a very stressful day. At one point, my lovely wife even reached out her hand to hold my hand. I was stressed out. So I'm walking back with the nurse, and I'm going to go through a nuclear stress test. And I said, okay, I'm not really understanding what nuclear means here. You know, I understand what a stress test is. That's where you run on a treadmill and they look at your heart, you know. I said, what's the nuclear part mean? And she says, well, we inject you with a radioactive dye, and then we take pictures of your heart, and then you run on the treadmill, and then we inject you some more and take some more pictures. I said, oh, rats. So I did the mistake that Kyle and I were joking about this. I was talking to Pastor Kyle. I looked at the needle that they were going to stick in my elbow. And it's not one of those nice, neat little needles. The thing looked like a harpoon, you know. This thing is big. And I go, oh, okay. And she sticks it in there. Great job. And then she injects me with this radioactive dye. She says, you need to cook for half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is not comforting words to a nervous person. So I went out and cooked for half an hour, and then they took pictures of my heart. So then I get in this treadmill, right? And all the time I tell myself, this is good, this is good, the test is not the problem, the test is good, this is good. it's going to show me what's going on. And so they put me on this treadmill, and they put it at 10 degrees. I, I, you guys do treadmill work at all, anybody in here? So 10 degrees, you start walking. I said, oh, this is not bad at all, I can do this all day long. She said, yeah, but you're not going to do this all day long. So they keep increasing the speed. She says, no, walk. We want you to walk as long as you can walk because that will increase your heart faster. And pretty soon they notch that baby up to 15 degrees. And I'm walking at 4.2 miles an hour up this 15-degree grade. I don't know if you do that. That's, that's like taking a walk with my wife. <laughs> she, I, she's like at hyperspeed. So I'm just, I go, okay, I'm at 10 minutes now. See, I start with a really low heart rate, 50. 53. They want to get to 135. So I just cleared 95 on the heart rate now. And I'm 10 minutes into the test. I've got, oh my goodness. You know, and they go, well, we're going to speed you up a little bit and move this along. So all of a sudden I'm going, can I run? Can I run? Yes, run. So I'm running up this 15 degree thing, you know, 101. I go, so 12 minutes, and she says, it'll come fast now. You watch. And I said, I hope so, you know. So I'm running and running. At 14 minutes, I get to 135. And then they grab my arm, and I'm running. Like, <laughs> she's holding, and she's injecting me with this dye because they want to see what it looks like at your maximum heart rate, right? So the whole time I'm taking this test, I'm not, I'm not once thinking, stupid test. Well, actually, I'm thinking that. But I'm not thinking <laughs> it's the test's fault that I'm there. 
The test is just going to reveal what's going on inside me, and I want to know what's going on inside me, amen? And, and I think sometimes we look at God's law like it's the problem, but it's not the problem, friends. God's law reveals what's going on inside of us. It's like an x-ray, and we should embrace it as God's revelation tool to help us understand the battle within us, amen? So Paul says, the law of God's not the problem. Like an x-ray, the law reveals that your problem is your sin nature. So if you're going to genuinely follow God, then you need to see who you really are, and you need to know the battle that's waging within you. The second point is this that we talked about last week. You must not minimize your sin nature and its adversarial tendencies to the statutes and the commandments of God. Don't minimize. Don't minimize the battle within. We have this tendency built in a, into us to minimize and rationalize away our sinfulness. It's much like the little kid that you tell, don't touch the hot stove, it might burn your finger, who then becomes fascinated with touching the hot stove because you put that into their little minds. The mom who does this, who gives this warning, doesn't give that warning to the little child because she uh, doesn't love the child. She does it because she loves the child and she's trying to set up this safe boundary so the child won't hurt themselves. And, and, and we have to understand that God's ways and stuff aren't there to wreck our fun and, and to, 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 to mess up our lives. He gives us his ways so that we understand where it's safe to play. And he doesn't uh, do this to take away some kind of thing that could, could benefit our life. He does it because he loves us. Amen? And so lastly, we saw last week this, sin must become utterly sinful to us. And um, I see Dakota sitting there still. Hey, buddy, how was that brownie? It was good. So last week I baked some brownies and I gave Dakota a brownie. And then I, I told him, there's one secret ingredient in here. You still probably can eat the brownie, right? Yeah, it will probably, probably won't hurt you. I'm not sure if it will hurt you or not. But my neighbor's dog likes to leave a present in our yard every now and then, some droppings, so I just added a little bit of that to the brownie. And I loved your face. You were not going to eat that brownie. Every service was the same. The person got kind of a disgusted look on their face like, no. Well, it's baked, though, right? It probably killed all the germs. But not one person at that point, I saw every one of them go, hmm. Started pushing that brownie away. Even though it looked delicious, they didn't want to eat it, but I told you it wasn't. Uh, it, it didn't contain any ingredient. Then they gladly ate it. And sin has to become utterly sinful to us. It has to become grotesque and disgusting to us. It has to kind of take on that kind of a, of a, of a tone in our lives. Um, sin, it, 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 you know, it entices because it looks tantalizing, it looks tempting, and it looks like it's going to satisfy some needs. But we have to become convinced of the, of the, of the, of the you know, uh, entanglement that it will weave into our lives, of the way that it will bring consequences of death to us, and, and we have to begin to loathe what sin will do to us. Sin has to become utterly sinful. Now, this morning, what we're going to do is pick up the story right where we left off last week, and we're going to continue to face the battle within. So the, the message is kind of called Facing the Battle Within Continued, because I'm a very creative person, and since last week we were facing the battle within, and we're continuing to do that today, it's Facing the Battle Within Continued. Amen? So you can follow me on this. And so we're going to begin with Romans chapter 7, verse 13. And reread that, that verse and then read through the uh, rest of Romans chapter 7 and see where Paul takes us next here on the battle uh, within. Listen to what he says, beginning with verse 13. 
Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Wow, is this a transparent admission by the Apostle Paul of the battle within that I think all of us face. So let's begin here with this first point. Listen to this point. Following Jesus is not about tweaking your sin nature because nothing good dwells in it. Following Jesus is not about tweaking your sin nature, because nothing good dwells in it. I have said this multiple times in my ministry time here at Grace Point, and Paul reaffirms this this morning. Following Jesus is not about some tweaks. It's not about some minor changes in your life. It's not about some good motivational preaching to make your marriage a little bit better or, you know, your career a little bit better. It's it's about this idea that your sinful nature needs to have a death. It needs to be put to death and removed from you. And new life resurrected in Jesus Christ needs to be what you step into because nothing good dwells in our sin nature. I'm almost to my 10-year anniversary here at Grace Point. And uh, the year before we moved here from Williston, Vicki and I decided it was time to remodel our basement in our house in Williston. Good timing, right? We remodeled it and we moved. Kind of how my life seems to work out sometimes. But in that basement, we had this shag red carpet kind of rust red, you know, from the 1970s. You ever see that stuff? It was great carpet to have with teenagers because they would go down there with their friends and, and they would spill pizza stuff on it and Cokes. And I remember Nate coming to me saying multiple times, Dad, we spilled a Coke on the floor downstairs. Do you want me to clean it up? No, I don't care. <laughs> Can't see it. It's in that red carpet. It just, I don't know. I think the carpet eats it. You know, it was a great carpet to have because it just didn't show anything. Um, and so the day came when we thought, it's time to get rid of the red carpet. Vicki had dreamed about doing some remodeling to the basement, adding a big pantry down there, and we were going to remodel uh, the bathroom and make it a full bath, and we just had a vision of what could be. Have you ever had a vision of what could be? I know some of you do this. You know what vision is? A vision is looking in the future and, and dreaming of what could be. Vision is what could be, amen? Mission is how you get there. Vision is what could be. Mission is how you get there, okay? It has nothing to do with the message, but now you know what those words mean. 
So I had this vision of this basement. And, I, I, it was, and we start working on it. And I'm excited about getting to, you know, things like putting new flooring down and doing some of that kind of finished work that looks nice. And so I go into the bedroom and I tear off a piece of the wall in the bedroom. I wasn't going to do much in the bedroom. We were just going to refloor the bedroom. And I tear off something to do some electrical work in there. And I remember thinking, what in the world? Oh, no. And the, the back of the sheetrock's all covered with black mold. And I remember saying to Vicky, oh, no, I think we have a little bit of a problem here. And I tore off a little bit more sheetrock, and it's all moldy, just this black mold. I said, oh, that's why Abby and Nate have been so sick all these years. They're sleeping in the mold cave down here. I felt bad. Um, and so I began that, that day doing what you have to do with black mold. I just tore it all out. I tore all the sheetrock out. It was depressing because I thought we were moving along farther on the project than that, and I just opened the basement window and just chucked it all out. And pretty soon I had a pile about this high of moldy black sheetrock sitting out in the yard. You know why? Because you can't paint over black mold. It just comes back. You can't sanitize it. It just comes back. You have to what? Just have to remove it. And so I spent a lot of time removing sheetrock and re-sheetrocking, which looked like I got nothing done in that basement. But it was all clean and smelled nice after that. And listen, this is what Paul's telling us about our sin nature. It's a black mold problem. Nothing good dwells in it. It has to be removed. You can't paint over it. You can't tweak it a little bit. You can't just sanitize it a little bit. You have to just be ruthlessly, forthrightly honest with it, and it has to be removed. Amen? It just has to be removed. One commentary I read noted that the traditional rabbinical teaching at that time that Paul penned these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit was, uh, and when I say rabbinical teaching, that just means teaching by smart Jewish people. The rabbinical teaching of that time said there was this duality uh, to a person. There was good and evil. And so rabbinical teaching said was how we're going to try to combat the evil within us is by being really a, a good followers of God. We're going to come up with a lot of you know, laws and regulations and rituals and such things that we hope will counteract the evil within us. And Paul, basically, in this teaching to us in Romans 7, says, this isn't working. All these good teachings and ways, all they're doing in me is revealing how utterly sinful I am. The law intended to help me is actually becoming a revelation tool that's showing me that I am a worthless person. I am unspiritual. I'm a wretched man. Amen? So the very thing that they had come up with, the very religious approach to handling this, 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 this evil within was working against them. And part of the problem that Paul's revealing is that, and he says, I am unspiritual. I don't do the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do is what I do. I, I keep doing that. And Paul concludes, this is sin in me doing it. Can you relate to this mission at all by Paul? I don't think Paul's sharing all this just so we can say, well, this sin thing's doing this in me. It's not my fault. This, that's an argument, by the way, used by some. They say, well, you know, the devil made me do it. God made me this way, whatever. It's not my fault. I'm going to live this way because why would God create me with these desires and these, this attitude if he didn't want me to live this way? I mean, that is a totally 
wrong understanding of Romans chapter 7. The point of all this is so that we know the battle within, that we take it serious and we wage the war we're called to wage. And we understand that God's not about a little tweaking. He's not a lot of, about a little adjustment. We are in a black mold situation, spiritual speaking, and we need to address it so. so. Amen? That's the point he's making here. So the culprit, this is point two, identified as adversary to sanctification in your life is indwelling sin. The problem is indwelling sin. Paul says, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. So Paul found himself checkmated by sin. Any of you play chess? I play a little bit of chess. I'm not very good at chess. Partly because it takes too much thinking and too much time. And I know that at one point in, in a chess match, that one player will get the other player helplessly checkmated. By this, I mean the king of that player will be surrounded by the other person's pieces in such a manner that you can't move the king without it being captured. And when that point happens in chess, what happens? You're checkmated. The game is over, and the person has won who has checkmated the other person. And Paul is basically saying, I have been checkmated in my life. I understand my sin nature, what it's doing to me, all this rabbinical teaching on the law and religious duties, and that hasn't worked. That has just boxed me into a corner of more revelation. And and when I try hard to do it, I can't do it myself. All these things I thought were helping me, they're they're just basically checkmating me into the corner, and he cries out, what a wretched man I am. I'm hopelessly stuck here. And, and, and that is um, where Paul takes us to next because what he's trying to do to us is to get us to understand that we can't be okay by some rules that we may make up, by trying really hard, um, you know, by uh, uh, doing some other things, whatever they may be. So what we need is a, a deliverer. Mankind needs a deliverer. Mankind needs a deliverer. And that's the conclusion that Paul reaches at the end of Romans 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he's going to go on to, into Romans 8 and explain that through Christ and by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, we can be set free from our sin nature. We can be set free from our sin nature. We don't have to be checkmated by the sin nature. Through our deliverer, Jesus Christ, and through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, we can be set free from our sin nature. Now, our tendency as people, and I see this in Christian circles all the time, is we skip Romans 7, and we jump right into the promises of Romans 8. And we talk about how the Spirit sets us free, and we're free indeed, and oftentimes we don't even know what we're set free from because we haven't gone through the struggle and the honesty and the transparency of Romans chapter 7. So hear this perspective. If you hear nothing else today, if you tune me out, if you've been bored out of your mind, if you're not listening yet, yet stop now and listen. Because if you don't hear anything else, hear what I'm about to share with you. Amen? Are you listening now? Because this is the most important thing I will share with you today. I rarely say that with this much emphasis, but hear this, please. You need to go through Romans 7 to comprehend what Romans 8 is revealing. I'll say that again. 
You need to go through Romans 7 to comprehend what Romans 8 is revealing. We cannot understand what freedom in Jesus is until we understand he is setting us free from the dominance of our sin nature. That's what he's setting us free from. Amen? We will not understand the language of Romans 8 and what we're being set free from if we haven't struggled with the concepts of Romans chapter 7. Too many think freedom in Jesus Christ is licensed to do the questionable. Licensed to throw off some restraint to do those things. And I even hear such ones say to me, well, I'm free. If I'm free in Christ, I'm free indeed. Ay, ay, ay. Wrong answer, wrong perspective. Such a one has said God through Romans 7. Romans 8 isn't saying, you're free to do questionable things. Let your sin nature go. Come on, that's totally contrary to what Romans 7 just has been telling us. What needs to die in us? Sin nature. Why would Romans 8 say then, do questionable things? You're free. No, what you're free from in Romans 8 is from the dominance of your sin nature. And be controlled by having to do questionable things. Amen? <laughs> Not so loud. I got loud, but you kind of go, oh, what's wrong with him? One commentary I said, the problem is not a divided self. I talked about that a little bit already. The problem is that I have a good and an evil dwelling within me. What the problem is that, and Paul's kind of revealing this, the last hope of mankind to the Jew was that somehow this rabbinical teaching and all this law would deliver them. And he goes, that doesn't work. Rats. But, Paul says, thanks be to God. I have a deliverer in Christ Jesus. So here's the answer. And let me find that for you because I just blew by it. Man needs to uh, deliver, like I said. So I want to go to our conclusion, okay, this morning. And it's simply this. Knowing the source of the problem is your sin nature, you to cry out to Jesus for deliverance. Now, there's some debate on this disclosure by the Apostle Paul, this transparent admission of this battle within. Is he talking about himself or is he talking about a problem universal? What do you think? <laughs> Someone said, yeah, it's universal. I mean, you know, if you don't think you have this problem, uh, you're probably in some self-delusion. It's a universal problem that he's identifying here. There's also some debate on when it's referring to, uh, what, what's the time element it's referring to. Um, and some think it's pre-Christian reference, and some think it's uh, in the middle of Christian experience reference. And both of those, I think, have some, some, some merit. Um, the pre-Christian ones think, well, you know, before you know Jesus, you come to this continuing revelation uh, of that your self-reliance and your life isn't working out the way you, you think it should. And the more you know God, the more desperate you become. And the more the Holy Spirit works on you. And the more you know, understand God's ways, the more you see I'm way, way off base here. And you come to that crisis point of saying, oh, wretched me, I'm a, a desperate sinner. I am helpless. I need the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that point, you ask him in your heart, you're born again, right? And the Holy Spirit fills you, and you're set free then from sin and dominion. Some think, well, that's what it refers to. I, I think, yeah, probably it refers to that. But Paul was writing his letter to believers. 
He's talking to those in the midst of the sanctification process of having their life wholly set apart to him. And so some would say, you know, it appears that Paul is really speaking to those who are Christ's followers but have yet experienced release and freedom from sin that dominates them. And we think, such ones would say, that this is referring to the ones in the middle of the Christian experience. You know what I think? They're both right. Amen? It refers to both of these cases. When you first come to Lord Jesus Christ, you come because what? You're desperate. Your life is a wreck. You've reached the end of your own solutions and you cry out, help me, save me, deliver me from my sinfulness. And God mercifully and lovingly does so because of the work of Christ on the cross. Amen? And then you're created and you become a new person and you begin this wonderful walk with God and I think then you begin to run into these issues of sin dominance. These old sin patterns die hard in your life and they'll rear their ugly heads and at times you wonder, what am I going to do? And sometimes I think we come to God and we understand we come to God, it's a free gift and there's nothing you can do to be saved but once we get saved, we go right back to our American ways and we think we work really hard and we do and do and do and somehow that makes us okay with God and we have to get to these crisis points again where we say, I can't do. I can't live it. And we cry out and we begin to understand that it's an utter dependence thing upon God. And that's, Paul's talking about both ends here. I mean, he's talking about both of these, I think. And they both apply. And so it kind of gets back to our sanctification definition. I'm going to give that to you once again. I know this is like number five time of me giving this to you. And some of you are going, I know this. Good! takes me about six to ten times to learn something. So here we go. I'm going to give you this definition again. Sanctification means to make holy, set apart from common usage. It applies both a change of status. You are made holy by the sacrifice of Christ. That's that pre-Christian to Christian experience where you move from death to life. And it involves a change of state, becoming holy gods in all areas of your life. That's the sanctification process we've been talking about in Romans 6, 7, and 8. The problem is always our sin nature, whether it's before you're born again or after you're born again. The problem you face is always your sin nature, and the solution is always crying out to Jesus for rescue, for deliverance. That's the point I'm making here. If you don't understand this, if you don't understand what I just shared with you, your Christian experience will be very frustrating and life-taking instead of life-giving. Imagine you buy a new muscle car. I think it's going to appear, there it is, a, a Dodge Charger. Someone said, yeah. First hour, someone went, woo! My, my brother had the Plymouth version of a Charger, uh, a Plymouth Roadrunner looked just like that. We did not know the car we had at the time we had it. We were just idiots. We had a car that was really cool. We didn't know the value of that thing down the road. But imagine you've got such a muscle car, but you don't know how to operate it. You don't know how to drive it. You've never driven a car. So what you do is you're going to go grocery shopping. You push the car to the grocery store. Get there, put your groceries in it, push it home. You go, man, that's a lot of work. 
Your kids need to be picked up from soccer. You push the car. Soccer. They get, push it home. And you get home. I'm exhausted. This is so much work. Then you push it to work and someone says, what are you doing? Why are you pushing the car? Isn't that how you do this? No. Open the door and get in it. Turn it on and you'll feel the power. And you get in there and you turn it on and you drive it for the very first time. You go, this is wonderful. This is refreshing. This is exhilarating. There's so much power here. I didn't realize I had. Silly analogy, but it makes a point. A lot of us as Christians, we're pushing way too much. We're doing it in our might and in our power. We're attempting to do our Christian life by our own willpower and our power, and that's like pushing a car rather than sitting in it and driving it. That's not how it's supposed to work. And Romans 8 will take us right to the power of the person of the Holy Spirit, that we can experience real life change by getting into the vehicle of Jesus and depending upon the person of the Holy Spirit to power our lives like nothing else. We're going to start getting into that next week. For, for this morning, here's our application. Get into the vehicle of Jesus. Get into the vehicle of Jesus. Whether it's salvation for you this morning, whether you need to do this for the first time in your life, or whether it's sanctification for you, whether you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, the problem is the same. It's the sin nature. And the solution for both of these cases is crying out to Jesus, depending on him for deliverance. So no matter where you are in your walk, whether you're exploring this thing called Christianity this morning, or whether you're like me or some older than me who've been in their faith for 40, 45, 50 years, the, 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 the solution the problem is always our sin nature, and the solution is always the same. What is it? Dependence on Jesus Christ. Dependence on Jesus Christ. Crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver you.